In verse 3, it says, God said, let it be light, and there was light. Today's podcast, I would like to focus on the meaning of this light that was created in the first day, and also a connection to this light and the candles of Hanukkah as we're, going to approach, we're approaching the holiday of Hanukkah. It says in the book of Genesis that only in day four, God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. So obviously this light is not that physical light that we have nowadays. It refers to some concepts of spiritual light. We want to address a very, very mystical, very Kabbalistic aspect of creation. And even before I get, I get into that explanation, as a general way of understanding, Kabbalah refers to God to the infinite light. And we're not, we're not in a way describing God with some sort of energy or anything that belongs to this world, since the Almighty is beyond everything that we can understand and we can explain, explain and we can conceptualize. The only reason why we call God the infinite light is because light is a less material thing that exists. So therefore, Kabbalah uses light as a metaphor to relate to something non-tangible. Also, is the, the, the less physical, the less imperfect thing that we can relate to. And that's why we ascribe, in a way, some association to God, to the concept of light. We have to keep in mind, we're not describing God, we're not describing God's essence. It's just a way of a relate to something beyond our tangible experience, something that is more perfect than this physical material world. Before God created anything, there was God's perfect presence everywhere. He's infinite, he has no limits. In order for God to give room, to give space to the world, in a way, he needed to contract himself and create a vacuum of his everywhere existence to leave room, so to say, to the world to exist. This concept is described by Kabbalah with the name of Tzimtzum. Let Tzimtzum means to contract his presence because when we speak about going be, God being infinite, it means not only that he extends without boundaries um, in all directions, but also implies that there's nowhere to be anything besides him. How, how then could be a world? So therefore, Kabbalah explains that in stage number one of creation, God, as it were, made available a space empty of his perfection. And in that space, he was about to build the world. And that is what conceptually we call darkness, which is the lack of that uh, infinite light. And in that space, as it were, God is going to give room for the world to exist. That in Kabbalah is called the makom, the place. And in the, in the terms of the Kabbalah, 
is not that God exists somewhere in the world, not that the world gives place to God, as we intuitively think and feel, but really, if you think about it in a deeper way, it's the other way around, that God is the only absolute existence, and somehow, somehow he was able to bring upon himself some place within himself for the world to exist. So in true, real way, God is a place, is the makom, makom in Hebrew means place, where the world exists. In that stage, and that's what the book of Genesis tells us in verse number two, that the world was in a situation of anarchy, void, and darkness. That is, in a way, the vacuum that God created within himself, as it were. Um, from that place, he was going to start building the world. And that is the different stages that we see in the six days of creation, how God is bringing things into that space that he created and introducing the different elements that he wanted to exist within the world and within that, that space. The darkness described in the previous verse, in verse number two, represents the imperfection and all the physical and all, all, all the aspects in the world that are going to be put in place and is going to be man's role to bring that imperfection and to perfect it, to work on himself and to work in the world to make this world and make himself a better person and a better world. So when it says that God said, let it be light, is referring to God's perfection, relating to that infinite light that somehow is going to be available in this world to be able to be used by man to bring perfection into the world. And that's why also we find in the Torah literature that we refer to the Torah as light. It says in the verse by King Solomon, Kinere mitzvah the Torah or. The mitzvot, the commandments that the Torah instructs, instructs the Jewish people to fulfill, they are like a candle. And what it shines from that candle is the spiritual light. By that, King Solomon is teaching us that through the fulfillment of the mitzvot and through the learning of the Torah, we can perfect the world and keep a, we can perfect ourselves. And that light is a reference to the perfection that is available in our hands. So therefore, that is what the Torah is telling us in the verse number three, that God introduced into the world the capacity to bring perfection into man and into the world. Physical light, it's white, but when we shine it through a prism, it can be split into the seven colors of the rainbow. And actually that's what happens when it rains and the sun shines through the drops of the rain. It breaks that light, it splits it into the seven colors of the rainbow.
this physical phenomenon, its uh, metaphor in a way represents what happens in spirituality. God's light, God's perfection is homogeneous. It contains all the different elements and attributes of perfection. But God wanted those attributes to be able to be perceived and also to be able to be uh, applied, to be acted upon by people. So God split his perfection into, into seven visible attributes that we can recognize and apply. And that is what the Kabbalah calls the seven sefirot, the seven attributes of God's perfection. And every day of creation represents one of these seven elements on, or attributes of God's perfection. The first one is in Hebrew called chesed, that is kindness. The first element of God's perfection and the first attribute that he is revealing to the world is the attribute of kindness and love. In a verse stated in the Psalms, Olam chesed ibaneh, the world was created and the world endures through the attribute of kindness. That is the first one that corresponds, correlates to the first day. Then on the second day, the second attribute is the attribute of gevura, restraint, which in a way is the element that teaches that unconditional give, giving is not healthy, is not good. We have to set limits, we have to restraint our giving to make it conditioned, and that is where discipline comes into play. Then the third attribute is the balance of the first two, which is mercy, and that correlates, corresponds to the third of a creation. And then comes the fourth one, which is netzach, which is eternity or nitzachon, which is victory, and that's also a representation of, a representation of God's involvement in the world. And then the fifth one is hod, glory, and is a way how we perceive and we relate and we connect to God. We acknowledge His existence. We thank Him for that, and we act upon that. There comes the sixth element, which is related to the sixth day of creation. That's going to be the element of connecting both spirituality with physicality. In Kabbalah, it's called Yesod, foundation, which is really a complete connection between spiritual and physical that brings uh, some sort of completion to the seven elements and then to the six elements and then the seventh attribute is recognizing God's rulership over the world that is calling Kabbalah Malchut kingship. So going back to the first day of creation, that is what God introduced in the world how his different attributes are going to be revealed. So initially, all of them are being created, are being shaped and formed, all of them together in a potential way. And then every, every day is like a different stage of revealing each one of them. So as we're going to be moving through the six days of creation, and finally into the Shabbat, the seventh day of rest, I'm going to be explaining more detail 
each one of these seven attributes. So going back to the first one, first of all, I mentioned all of them containing potential, the seven in one, like the white light uh, with all of them together. And then we start perceiving the first one, which is kindness. The reason of creation is God's love, God's unconditional decision to create a world out of kindness, out of love, out of his perfection, to give us opportunity to exist and to experience life and pleasure and all the bounty, all the good that he wanted to share with us. That spiritual light and that aspect of kindness is really the essence of our soul. As the verse says, Ne'er Elohim Adam, the candle of God is the soul of a person, implying that our spiritual essence is an extension of God's perfection of that infinite light that we all contain within ourselves. But then, as an external aspect, who we are is the body, which is really the opposite, which is the imperfection, the physical, the limited, and we were made like that by God to have free will. That aspect of an inner conflict and an inner aspect of opposites was placed in each one of us and also in the world in general, in humanity in general. So we find we find us we find that war between these opposites, light and darkness, forces of light and forces of darkness within ourselves, within the world. And that has been the struggle of humanity since the very beginning, as we're going to go through the book of Genesis, please God, till the very end, the coming of the Messiah. And that's what I mentioned in the previous podcast, how all this uh, was related from the very beginning of creation in verse number two from the very start until the coming of the Messiah. And I refer that in verse number two, when it mentions about darkness, that was uh, speaking about Greece, a nation that would come and would try to put darkness to the light of the Jewish people, to the light of the Torah observance, and to the light of the Torah learning. And miraculously, God delivered the Greeks into the hands of the Jews, of the Maccabim, the Hashmonaim, and they were able to go back to the temple and restore the lighting of the menorah. The menorah, the candelabra in the temple, had seven branches that represent these seven lights, the seven lights of the seven attributes of God, going from kindness all the way down to kingship, as I mentioned. So that was a symbol of the menorah that the Greeks wanted to put off. And miraculously, God allowed the Hashmonaim, the Maccabim, to defeat them and to restore the light of the temple that symbolizes that light of perfection through the Torah and the servants of the commandments of the Torah by the Jewish people. Now, the question has been asked, why do we celebrate Hanukkah 
for eight days if the miracle only took place for seven days? Because we know the story, when the Jewish people were able to, to, to recover the temple, and they wanted, they wanted to light again the menorah, they were searching for oil, and they were able to find one jar of oil that had been preserved with the seal of the Kohen Gadol, the high priest that hasn't been defiled by the Greeks. And that a jar contained enough oil to light the seven candles of the menorah of the temple for one day. And miraculously, that uh, oil that should have lasted for, for only one day lasted for eight days. So the question is, the, really the miracle is for the seven, extra seven days because the first day that the oil lit, it wasn't a miracle, it was there. So the many questions, the many answers to this question, one of them is that the fact they were able to find one the one jar that hadn't hasn't hadn't been defiled that in itself was a miracle. Now, I would like to give a different answer to the question that relates to what we're speaking about now. That the number eight, and I explained that also previously in a podcast, represents the miracles, the spiritual. The word, the word eight in Hebrew, Shmona, is the same letters of the word Neshama, which is soul, and also the word Shemen, which is oil. So what it really means is a reference, the number eight, to the spiritual light, to the light of the world to come. This world was created in seven days, which are parallel to these seven attributes, but then there's the eighth which is beyond this. And what happened in Hanukkah is what God was able to bring into this world. I mean, he's able to do anything, but what he did is to bring into this world a little bit of the light of the world to come, which is represented by number eight. And that's going to be the Kabbalistic attribute of understanding. It's called benign Hebrew. In the world to come, we're going to be able to see and to understand and to perceive a higher reality beyond the limitations of this world. So really when we speak about the eight days of Hanukkah, it's not just a matter of quantity, of how many days the miracle happened and how many days therefore we're going to be lighting candles of Hanukkah, but it's really a matter of quality, of understanding. It's a matter of being able to perceive something beyond the limits of the number seven, beyond the limitations of this world. And that was really the miracle of Hanukkah, to be able to, to have access to the world to come, to the world of miracles, to the world of spirituality, some, in a way, access to the perfection of God's light, which is, as I explained at the very beginning of this podcast, to the infinite light of God. So when we're lighting the, the candles of Hanukkah during the eight days, it's not just how many days did the miracle happen, but it's a representation of which is the light that we're able to access to perceive in Hanukkah. Every day of Hanukkah that we light the menorah, we are in a way perceiving the light of God's perfection.
And Osages explained that's why Hanukkah is, uh, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, I'm here in South Africa, which is the summer, but in, in Israel, in the Northern Hemisphere, Hanukkah is in the midst of the winter, when the nights are the longest, representing not only physical, but even more than that, spiritual darkness, spiritual imperfection. And that's actually what the Greek society was all about was from one hand a very sophisticated, very smart society. We owe to the Greeks art and sports and science and politics and economics and basically uh, technology. All this is based on the Western culture, which is very useful, but it's only useful if we understand that these are only tools and means for a goal, which is spiritual development. But when we make all these, which is the Greek values and the Greek culture and the Greek um, ideals into the goal of life, then we're completely missing the point, And that's when it becomes darkness. And then when we light the Hanukkah candles, they shine through this darkness to remind us that the purpose of life is not these physical goals, not to make all these goals, uh, all these means into goals, but the light of spirituality, which is human perfection, that is to, to resemble it, to connect to God's perfection. And that is the objective and that is the meaning of light, lighting Hanukkah candles is to bring the perfection the, that resembled by thy light into our lives in a life and in a time of imperfection and in a time of darkness, of spiritual and conceptual darkness. Verse number four says, and God saw that God saw that the light was good and God separated between the light and the darkness, meaning to say that they are the two opposites I, that I just explained in the world, but God is going to always try to keep them separated so darkness can never completely put off the light of spirituality and the light of perfection. That's what I just explained happened in Hanukkah. And just to end up day, day one, it says in verse number five, and God called the light day, and to the darkness he called night, and it was evening and it was morning, one day. There's a lot to speak about the meaning of the days. Again, God didn't need just a limit of 24 hours to do things, but rather he introduced a concept of units, and by this is ending the first unit in creation. And when it says day one was that uh, the beginning point of creation was completed, represents also the oneness of God. And then it's going to move on to the next units. And that's that I'm going to leave, please go for the net, ne next podcast. I'm going to play, explain the number two, which represents division, 
with is going to be its essence about splitting, which is the opposite of the oneness of the number one.